Hello, friends. Whoa, that was a strong hello. I think I'll leave it. Hey, everyone. This is John Hanson. I don't know why I'm so full of energy. This is the Block Club Chicago podcast. It's all good. And this is episode number 10. The is it episode number 10? Boy, this is off to a rocking start. Upon further review, this is episode nine. It's titled Neighbors Helping Neighbors and the Power of Pride. It's a two-part episode. And for part one, I kind of wanted to reflect back on some of the neighborhood heroes uh, during the pandemic, make sure that they don't get lost in the shuffle now that we are starting to get back to normal. And with the story of Jackie and Glaze, I bring in reporter Hannah Alani. When I like close my eyes and think of all the neighborhood heroes I interviewed over the last 16 months, and there were many of them, Jackie is one of the first people who comes to mind. She was in her third year of law school at Loyola. And, you know, instead of just focusing 100% of her time and efforts on, you know, doing her last year of law school on Zoom, she kind of took up this huge Herculean effort to hand cook she made she she'd made home cooked meals and packaged lunches like over a thousand of them for a very uh, a very noble cause it was a nonprofit that was um, basically collecting these homemade lunches to just give to people who uh, were not going to have a meal that day when school was going on because the lectures were over zoom I would be doing some of the meal prep while the lectures were going on, peeling vegetables or something like that while the class was going on or grating cheese or something like that, I would do it. I'm sure the professors were just like, what is this girl doing? It was a very, very simple thing. Like when you think about it, you know, there were, there were so many needs, but everyone needs to eat. And Jackie was just standing there in her kitchen and, you know, she had this love of cooking and And she didn't set out to like have this big Herculean effort. It started literally with like 25 meals. I took the lunch there and I was like, okay, I did my good pandemic deed. That's it for me. And when I got there, I was heartbroken by what I saw. People my parents' age really brought a tear to my eye because they thought, my God, my parents could be in this position now. They live on a fixed income now. I would want someone to help them out. I saw essential workers there. And I think it was at that point that I realized I have to do something about this. And I'm not going to sit by and watch people go hungry if I can, if I can do something about it. And the way she, cause she's a law student, she's, she, you know, she took out student loans, the way she afforded this initially by selling a couple law textbooks. But then when she got her stimulus checks, she actually used those to pay for groceries, to make these meals for the neighbors. This was basically a situation that snowballed. I just kept doing it once a week. And then little by little, people kept hearing that I was doing this. I was getting like Amazon packages delivered to my house. And I was like, get it. I was getting huge boxes of individual like cookies and potato chips delivered. I mean, literally my apartment looked like the inside of um, a giant vending machine. And then after that, she got a couple scholarships from Loyola and she did take some of that scholarship money and kind of put it toward her own student loan debt. But then she used some of the remainder to continue this project. And, you know, until the day she could no longer do it, you know, she she was going to make the meals until she, until she couldn't. There are really just some basic needs that people have in life. And I'm more than happy to do this to help other people. You know, when you see people waiting in these long lines because 
they have no food. You know, when you talk to some of these people too, the impact that that has on their dignity, their self-respect, the confidence they have in themselves. I mean, that takes a lot, that takes a toll on people to even be in a line like that. For me to have to sacrifice a little bit in my life to help people like that, that's fine. And she was so humble too. I mean, she didn't go out, you know, advertising that she was doing this. I only found out about her because one of her neighbors emailed me and was like, you have to do a story about Jackie. Why has no one done a story about Jackie? <laughs> and look, I know there's a lot of other people in your neighborhood and in all the other neighborhoods who saw the same thing that Jackie did is that the face of hunger in our city isn't one specific person. It's our neighbors, friends, family that we pass on the street. I know that was a really important experience that uh, Robert Maje, the owner of Takaria Cochina in Ukrainian Village had he uh, put a love fridge in his restaurant. It was one of the only, if not the only love fridge in the West Town Wicker Park area when that nonprofit got going. And he had a woman come in who had a young girl holding the woman's hand. And the woman said, hi, where's the, the love fridge? I wanted to pick up some food for some neighbors. And then the little girl uh, tugged on the mom's hand and said, mom, I thought the food was for us. And then she kind of looked up at Robert and just had this like look of embarrassment, horror. And Robert was just like, in tears he was like no like you like you could be me i could be you like this is not the fact that it was a feeling of shame that is what inspired him to do his own kind of herculean meal giveaway effort with west town feeds i feel like that kind of is the universal experience that that's the thing that really switches like the empathy switch in our brains is like oh this could be me. I could be in this situation. That could be my parents. That could be my family, my brother, my sister, my neighbor. A lot of this was neighbors helping neighbors through COVID-19. Lasagna Love, a really cool nationwide organization that kind of just paired up, literally neighbors with neighbors, cooking loaves of lasagna at your own pace. Some people went crazy. Some people did a couple here or there. I talked to a couple people that did it here locally in Chicago, and the theme was, look, this is going to help some people out. People like Martin Diaz. Food insecurity is massive and how important that is um, to so many aspects of a family's life. And this is something that an individual can do, right, with the materials that are probably in their pantry right now, a couple of hours that can go and, and make a huge difference in somebody's day-to-day -day life. It's, it's really impactful. Like it's a feel good thing because it's the lasagna and it's almost like a fun piece of it. But it's like, this is real impactful. This is like real social movement. This is real investment in our community and like in our city. And for Chicago and Connie Bickford, the reason why she does lasagna love is pretty simple. Because I'm able to, because I can, you know, I'm comfortable and mean it's, you know, yes, it's all been very stressful for everybody, the whole world, but it's something that I can do to, you know, help. And it's like someone in my neighborhood, you know, close by. I just feel like as long as I'm able to, that it's something that I want to do. And we've been asking nonprofits to write in about what they're doing. And one fits perfectly with what we're talking about. They're called the Urban Growers Collective. They've got a Fresh Moves mobile market. Laurel uh, wrote in to tell us about it. Our goal is to make good food accessible in black and brown neighborhoods communities that have been historically divested. The food we grow is sold on the Fresh Moves mobile market, a bus that has been converted into a mobile farmer's market. Our produce aisle on wheels works towards closing the food access gap by bringing produce to schools, community centers, churches, and health clinics weekly. 
Customers board the bus and shop for delicious, culturally affirming fruits and vegetables. No one should have to choose between having a roof over their head or eating their next meal. Our bus operates Monday through Friday, year-round. Find our schedule at urbangrowerscollective.org. Hannah will remember the pandemic for many things, but I hope people least remember that there was a lot of neighbors helping neighbors try and get through this. As a journalist and just as a person, as a neighbor, as a member of this community, that those stories were what got me through the pandemic. Reporting, interviewing people like Jackie and Robert, um, that that and reading, you know, the work of my colleagues. We had no at no point during the pandemic did Block Club have a shortage of story tips related to neighbors helping neighbors, and that will always forever and always uh, blow me away. Hannah Alani, thanks so much for introducing us to Jackie. And uh, you're leaving Block Club Chicago. We're really sad about that, but thank you for all your hard work. Well, to everyone listening, it has been such a wonderful two and a half years at Block Club, and I can't wait to read the work of my successor and keep tabs on what's going on in the neighborhood. Last weekend of June is upon us, and that normally means all the pride celebrations. Of course, we didn't have them last year. This year is like a hybrid. We have like different things that are happening. Some things are, some things aren't. And uh, breaking it down is Jake Wittick. He covers uh, the Boys Town neighborhood, Lakeview, a lot of other uh, spots in that area. Jake, thanks for uh, hopping on with us here today. Yeah, of course. I'm glad to be here. So it's kind of a weird year, right? Like, it, I feel like we're open, we're all good to go, but not quite everything Pride is happening as normally would. Yeah, it's a little weird. We've kind of got like Pride part one right now, and then part two is going to be happening in October, which is when, um, the reason I'm saying it's part one right now is because it's Pride month, um, which, you know, it marks, um, I think we're at 51 years since the Stonewall Rebellion of 1969, um, which is really kind of seen as the kickoff to the gay liberation movement. So that's why we celebrate that in June. Um, and that's why I say it's part one now, but part two is coming in October because all the usual pride festivities, we've got a pride fest and a parade that we do every year. Those are gonna be held in October now just to give them a little bit more time to plan since we've entered phase five of reopening. Makes sense. I appreciate that you call it a rebellion. Obviously, we've all had to kind of relearn some of the language of what the original Stonewall, what used to be known as the riot was called. And I feel like there's been this real big push the last couple of years. And I'm wondering if anything continues on with this to recognize that it was black trans women who really started the Stonewall rebellion in the first place and really jump started the LGBTQ movement. Pride has kind of taken on different forms from there. But I feel like in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of efforts to recognize who started pride in the first place yeah definitely um i mean it's really like black and brown trans women that started pride in the first place and there's definitely been a push here in chicago to recognize that a bit more um this sunday which is when the pride parade would have normally been held it instead there's going to be a protest that day and it's called the people's pride is what they're calling it and it's designed to bring pride back to its roots kind of separate it from this corporate um beast that it's become in recent years and recognize that it was black and brown trans women who started this so it's a protest calling for better for black and brown lives throughout trans lives throughout chicago i know just a couple weeks ago there was the drag march for change you were there covering that yeah this was a follow-up to last year they did the first drag march for change and it was a protest demanding justice for george floyd um, but in the midst of that they touched on a lot of issues within chicago's lgbtq community 
um, just issues with racism and transphobia that they said we need to clean our own house. Um, so that's what the first protest was. And then the second one, it was equal parts celebration and protest. There were drag performances, there were rappers performing. Um, it was really cool. But um, so they were celebrating all the progress that's been made in the neighborhood in the last year while also recognizing that there's still more work that needs to be done to make it a better place for black and brown trans people. We often talk about trust between policing and communities and, you know, discussions of defund the police have been really obviously brought to the forefront here in the last year or so. Um, I find it interesting that you wrote the story about the Chicago Police Department and a liaison or a team that's trying to build a little bit more trust with the queer community. Yeah, that's their hope. They um, they've had one person in this role for the past few years, kind of unofficially um, an LGBTQ liaison who. Um, kind of acts as a mediator between police and the LGBTQ community, trying to improve relations, respond to hate crimes, um, develop policies and things like that. Um, and the big news is last week they unveiled that this team has been expanded from one person to now there's six liaisons, one for each of the police's communi five community areas and then a, like a head person that's going to lead the team. I did an interview with uh, based on a story you did last year with the folks from Molasses, uh, which is a great organization about their work. And I feel like a lot of people think the gay community is this monolith where we all row at the same speed and everyone's got each other's backs. But the reality is that even within the LGBTQ plus community, there's a lot of blind spots that everybody kind of has. And I feel like they have done some incredible work just really fighting for black trans women, black performers, black drag queens. I just feel like they have a, an important energy that needs to be recognized a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. And Molasses, they were actually at last weekend's Drag March for Change, um, speaking about how we need to do better as a community to make this place um, safer and more fun and more welcoming for black trans people. In this conversation with the people behind Molasses, you'll hear from incredible artists, Kay Monet, Lucy Stuhl, and Choya Webb. But I wanted to start things off with what Chicago artist Zola had to say about why Molasses needed to be created. Being blackballed, honestly, like literally being blackballed by white performers and entertainers within the Chicago queer nightlife scene was really the impetus and the start of like sitting down and like looking at like my black trans livelihood and looking at the other black trans livelihoods within space as well and seeing how individuals are being treated and also consumed but not uplifted by spaces as well was really the start of like you know wanting to create space and develop space for black trans people to be able to you know freely and rightfully and also sustainably safely congregate and find each other and find like home as well. I think that it became clear that I was only getting booked for shows that was empowering and highlighting and centralizing black people and trans people. And when I realized that, wait, I'm only getting booked for black trans gigs. And it's like, we wonder why. A lot of performers and producers in Chicago have a white supremacy and gatekeeping problem. And so it means that a lot of scarcity mindset develops among people like us and who look like us and then it, it envelops into our bags our coin because at the end of the day we have to demonstrate such a level of excellence and craft and also politeness and respectability in order to get places um and we refuse to do that look at us why would we do that who has that served and i think a part of molasses is just making sure that there is that paid guaranteed fruitful space where performers can show up as themselves without 
expecting to have to perform respectability? Personally, to me, it means um, liberation. Uh, when, when everyone else approached me about becoming a part of this, um, it finally felt like I was being included into something that I could like really help make change in our community and in our city with. It really did a lot for me in like, you know, my own liberation, but, but actually being able to help other people that I have been trying to help for so long, you know, with these tangible things that molasses has been able to do. Um, and it really gave me a voice in a new way. And it really gave me um, a way to use this quote unquote, you know, power that I have um, for good. Um, the first thing that we did was creating space, a social space um, for Black trans people to like convene and come together and also appreciate Black trans artistry and to pay Black trans artists and to uplift them and give them places to, you know, feel safe, seen and heard, which is just so rare. Within Molasses and specifically how it relates to my art is liberation, which is to express myself how I deserve to be expressed. And all of those things combined allow me as a digital creator, makeup artist, um, an editor, a producer, all these things that allows me to be able to like unapologetically say what the fuck I wanna say and how I wanna say it. And like to be able to have these spaces that are built by my siblings, built by my sisters, and they are the ones handing me the microphone and say, do what you do best, bitch. And the fact that I can do that, there's no other feeling. Molasses really helped me unlock my transness, my Black transness, in ways that I never expected it to. I think growing up, not really being able to, to really embrace myself artistically and within my actual full identity, um, Molasses just gave me that gift. And it also shouldn't be our jobs to spend the rest of our lives, you know, advocating for our lives. <laughs> like, y'all can do this work. And also a lot of this work is stuff that people need to be doing on your own. Like your homophobia and your transphobia and your racism, the rest of your shit, that ain't mine. That's yours to work on. <laughs> like, don't lay that shit on me. That is your work that you need to do. Molasses has a Facebook page and Instagram page as well. Molasses Chicago is where you can find those. They also have a trans self-defense class this Sunday. They did that back in the fall. They're doing it again. You can find all the information on their Facebook page if you'd like to be a part of that or to donate to help uh, their cause. Okay, before we wrap up episode nine, we've been asking nonprofits to submit a minute long recording of all the great things that they're doing, the good news that they have here for the summer. And here's one from Emily. Hi everyone, it's Emily Smith, co-founder of Female Strong. We offer hands-on programs, mentorship, and experiences that build confidence in middle and high school girls. We have a really exciting summer camp this year called Idea Camp running from July 12th through the 16th, where we'll encourage girls to think creatively about business ideas and get exposure to some of the top female CEOs in the world. This year's theme is called Create the Spark. Turn your passion into action and share it with the world. Participants will even receive a vision board sponsored in part by Paper Source. We know it's been a really tough year for moms, so we'd love to bring the Black Club Chicago's community some good news today and offer free scholarships for your daughters to attend. They can go ahead and register at femalestrong.org and use the code BSTRONGIDEA123. 
Hope to see you there. Thanks for that submission, Emily. And you can send yours to podcast at blockclubshy.org. Okay, that is going to do it for episode number nine. Thank you so much for listening and supporting Block Club Chicago. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And be sure to go to blockclubchicago.org to read some more great stories and to consider subscribing to the nonprofit newsroom we have. Have a great rest of your week, weekend, and beyond. That's the worst ending yet. <laughs> <laughs>